First Corinthians chapter four, we'll be reading verses one through seven. So it says, beginning in verse one, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, I remember years ago talking to Mark Young, Mark was always big in sports. He was always very competitive, very athletic, and he started refing high school basketball games. And I remember talking to him at one point, and I mentioned sportsmanship. And he said, you know what? He said, I hate to say it, Greg, but you know what? Our Christian schools, he says, they're the worst. He says, they have the worst fans. He says, I don't know, I don't know why that is. Of all the people, we should have the best. But he says, I get yelled at from the benches way more during private school games than public school games. He says, I don't know why that is. You know, it's a sad thing. Of all the people in the world, we should be people that are uh, with humility and charity, love towards other people, and yet we can become so aggressive. The Corinthians, the same thing. They're a bunch of Christians. These are people that put their faith in Christ. These are people that should have been people that are easy to get along with and people that are humble in in their nature and gentle and meek, and they are not. They're actually so arrogant that they're even fighting over who the best preacher is. Sometimes you can have Christians outdoing the world with our pride and arrogance. We're vulnerable to that. Uh, Even though everything in the things that we believe should point the other direction, we still have feet of clay and can fall into that same kind of arrogance. I noticed that even within myself. I remember a few years ago I was watching a football game. This one player did something great and he immediately went up to the other one that he beat and got right in his face touting about how he was so great. (laughs) I just hated it. But it got me thinking, why is his arrogance so offensive to me? And I started thinking of it not just in that certain issue, but in my life as a whole. I think why, when I see somebody acting in a way that's arrogant, a way that's prideful, why is that so, because it kind of gets like, it's like petting the cat the wrong way, right? Why does it kind of get your back up? It kind of gets you, well, I think part of it's because arrogance is just ugly. It's just sinful. But I think the other part of it is, there's a lot of times the reason that I get put off by somebody else's arrogance is because it tramples on my own. Because sometimes there's issues where something happens and I think, why am I so upset about that? I really wouldn't be that upset about that if I didn't feel that it diminished me in some way. So it's actually an arrogance in myself. You know what? The Apostle Paul, in dealing with this Corinthians, and they're kind of fighting back and forth against some are saying, I'm following Paul, some I'm following Apollos. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what your real problem is? You're arrogant. And when you think about it, they're not really holding up themselves. They're holding up somebody else. Somebody else is saying, oh, Paul, he's the greatest. Somebody else is saying, oh, Apollos, he's the greatest. Oh, Peter, he's the greatest. They're not really holding up themselves. Or are they? Pretty much they are. 
Because you see, that's the teacher they've decided to identify with. So by holding them up, they're lifting themselves as well. It's the same kind of thing, just like put it back on a basketball court or a football field or a volleyball in the gymnasium. That's our team. We identify with that team. And so in upholding our team, we are actually upholding ourselves as well. And so our own arrogance can be what takes us overboard in some of those realms. Now, obviously, is it wrong to cheer for your team? Absolutely not. It's a lot of fun. But when we go too far, when our arrogance gets involved, then we've gone too far. So what what I see in this passage as the Apostle Paul deals with these people is I find an antidote for that, an antidote for our arrogance. How can we suppress the arrogance that is within us? that comes out of our sinful nature and wants to raise ourselves up high on a pedestal and above everybody else and may involve raising others up at the same time. What is an antidote for fighting against that self-centered focus that is just so naturally ingrained within us? Well, first thing that we have to have is a proper identity. We need the proper identity. And that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul does. You know, he's been talking for these three chapters about God's wisdom compared to the world's wisdom. And in the world's wisdom, those people were holding up the apostles, holding up Peter, holding up Paul, holding up Apollos, and then bickering back and forth about who was the best. And the Apostle Paul says, look, this is how you need to regard us. This is how we need to be identified. He starts off in verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, this is a different word. He, back in chapter 3, verse 5, he used the word servants as well. But that word is the word that we get our word deacon from. And it just means to, to serve, to, to help someone in that way. This word is a different word. This word is also a word that means servant, but it has more to do with subordination. Focusing on not so much of what I'm doing, but who I'm doing it for. That I am not the master. I am the servant. I'm not the boss. I'm the employee. I'm not in charge. I am just serving. And that's the word that the Apostle Paul uses for this one. So the Apostle Paul, the first thing that he does to help combat, to fight against that arrogance, is he's saying, look, this is how I want you to look at us. Now, you know what? The the Apostle Paul has been has dealt with this in a very humble way all the way through. Because when you think about it, who has he named by name? Well, he named he did name Peter once, but really pretty much the names that he's focused on has, has only been his own and Apollos. He hasn't named any of the Corinthians. He hasn't named any of the people that have been stirring up this controversy or bickering back and forth between. He let all those people remain nameless and he's just going to use himself and Apollos as the example. And he's saying, don't think so highly of us. Look down at verse 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. And so he's wanting them to learn from it. He's saying, look, we're not, we're not up on that pedestal. We're servants. I want you to follow this. In fact, when we get up into verse 8 and following, he's going to say, imitate us in these ways. So he's saying, look, in the same way that we're saying, don't don't put me up there. Don't think that highly of me. I'm down here. He says, you need to be doing the same thing because the reason, part of the reason you're holding us up is because you're trying to climb up on the pedestal. He says, let's keep all of us off the pedestals. Can we do that? That's the way we need to look at ourselves. That it's not really about our elevation. It's about our service. It's about what is the benefit that we can be to one another. In fact, if I can step down a step to help you up, then that should be my focus. 
It's just like the picture of Christ in Philippians. Not grasping, not clinging to heaven, but willing to let go of that to come down here for our benefit to serve us. And then being found in fashion as a man to to humble himself even further to become a servant and even further to experience death and even further to experience death on the cross, which was designed to humiliate you. That pride, that arrogance, the antidote for that is having the right perspective, a proper identity, that we're not all that and the bag of chips. We are servants in this. We are here for the benefit of other people. In fact, as the Gospel of Luke records for us, Jesus says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keep sheep say to him, When he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? But will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. If we're going to be completely honest with one another, does that passage just kind of rub you the wrong way? It does me a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I recognize that it's absolutely true and correct and puts me in the right perspective. But you know what? At that point, you've really just done your job. You haven't done anything extra. Nothing worth patting yourself on the back for. You've just done what you're paid for. That needs to be our perspective. You see, if we see ourselves as servants, then we will rarely struggle nearly as much with pride. On the other hand, I remember uh, reading in a commentary or a book somewhere that said the true test of humility is if you can act like a servant when treated like one. We tend to raise ourselves higher than that. Christ made himself a servant. If we're going to be Christ-like, we need to make ourselves the same. Now, he uses another word there also, and it's the word stewards. The steward is somebody that really doesn't, they're not the owner of the thing, but there's somebody that manages it. fits well with, uh, because it was often a job that was performed by slaves within the Roman Empire. We get our kind of Americanized picture of what a slave was, and, um, and we picture them out working in the fields, and there definitely was that. There was a lot of them doing that. But slaves were also people that uh, taught the children, tutored the children in school. Uh, slaves were the ones that managed some of the business affairs and the bookkeeping and stuff like that for the for the, the master's business. So there's a lot of different realms that slaves worked in. Well, one of those realms was that of a steward. In other words, they were charged with the responsibility of overseeing their master or their boss's business affairs. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what, that's what we are. He says, if you want to regard us in some way, this is how I want you to think of us. Think of me as a servant. Think of me as a steward. In other words, he's saying, I don't, I don't own the thing. I don't own the ministry. I don't own the gospel. I don't own the church. That all belongs to Christ. I'm just uh, managing it. I'm just helping take care of it. I'm just helping grow it to the benefit of everybody. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verses 16 and 17, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. He says, I can't, but I, I just have to preach the gospel. Now, I wouldn't say I have as dramatic of a call to ministry as the Apostle Paul did. Not even close. But you know what? There's uh, From years ago, a long time, with wrestling with the Lord over a, a length of time, I came to the conclusion that this is just something that I have to do. But the same thing, it's not mine. It's not my ministry. It's not my gospel. It's not my church. I mean, this is my church, my church family, but this is Christ's church. The apostle saying, look, I have a stewardship. I'm not the owner. I'm just managing. I'm just helping where I can. 
He echoed that in other places around the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Colossians gets a little more in depth, verses 24 through 26 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. And that mystery is Christ in us. He says, a stewardship has been given to me to declare to you the Gospel. Well, then also, even in 1 Timothy, he would write and recognize that it's not just a stewardship that's given to him, but it was passed down to Timothy. It's passed down to... From generation to generation, that stewardship gets handed off. And now it's our turn. Every one of us who have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and put our faith in Him, we become stewards of that information. And we have a responsibility to share that information with other people and to help grow the church of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So he's telling him, look, you need to focus. There's a lot of foolish things that people are spending their time talking about that just generate more questions. You need to put those things aside. Focus on the Gospel Focus on the Word of God. That's the stewardship that God has given to us. And so, you know what? The Apostle Paul, what is he? He's a servant and a steward. We're the same. Who are we before Christ? What is our identity? We're servants. You can't really have a higher calling in this world than to become a servant of Jesus Christ. You know what? As long as we view ourselves as a servant, we're not going to have a real wrestling match with pride because there's really just no place for it. There's, there's nothing to offend now, you know, this would have rubbed the Corinthians exactly the wrong way. Just like if I'm honest, it does me, and if you're honest, probably you too. In the Roman Empire, pride was exalted. Humility was looked down upon. Humility was not a character trait that the Roman Empire favored. They figured humility was good for the slaves. That was beneath them to be humble. But it's exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to, and it's exactly what Jesus Christ did. So if we have the proper identity, recognize ourselves as servants and stewards, then that is part of the antidote for overcoming the arrogance that lies within. But secondly, we also see that there's a proper responsibility. He points out the responsibility in dealing with a steward. He says, moreover, in verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. And you think about it, that's, that's exactly it. That's, that's the crux. If you've got somebody managing your property, managing your finances, managing your, your children by teaching them in school, whatever it is, you want them to be faithful. You want to know that that's somebody that's consistent, that day in, day out, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're faithfully managing, faithfully taking care of those things on your behalf. Well, that's what God's looking for in us. What does God want us to be? He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be plodding along. There's times when when I'm rubbed the wrong way, and this thing usually helps me the most. Because I think, you know what? Whatever's happening here, you know what's going to happen? We're still going to do this. 
We're still going to follow Christ. We're still going to work hard. We're still going to do the right thing. We're still going to be, treat people right. And we're still going to act with honor. And we're still going to act with dignity. I'm going to do my part. You can't always do all the parts that are out there, but you can do your part. You need to be consistent. And that's what Christians, that's what we need to be. We need to be faithful. We need to be dependable, handling our responsibilities. And then lastly, we need to have the proper evaluation. The proper evaluation at this moment is the Apostle Paul just tells him not to. Don't evaluate. Don't, don't judge, he says. Now, don't judge isn't for every circumstance. It's not meant to be. In fact, when we get up into chapter 5, he's going to tell them to judge and tell them it's their job to judge in some things. So he's about to tell them that they need to judge some things, but there's other things that we don't need to judge. problem is sometimes we get all those out of whack. We end up not judging the things that we should be involved in judging, and we end up judging the things that we shouldn't. And that's exactly what he's doing here. They're judging between Paul and Apollos. They're judging uh, and Peter and evaluating which one of them is better. He says, you've got no business judging that. Each of us is serving Christ. You can have your favorite teacher, whatever, but you know what? You're going to pit us one against another. That's, that's not your place. We're not serving you. You're not our master. God is our master. That's who's going to judge us. There's different places in the Bible that, that, uh, that he highlights the same thing. Areas like gray areas. Back in their culture, there's animals that are killed for sacrifices in pagan temples and then sold in the marketplace. Can we eat that meat or do we not eat that meat? And some people felt like, yeah, we can eat the meat. It's not like we went to the sacrifice. Why couldn't we eat the meat? And other people were like, no, you can't eat that meat. It was sacrificed to an idol. Well, which is it? Can we eat it or not eat it? The Apostle Paul basically says, well, if you have a clean conscience, go ahead and eat it. You didn't worship that idol. You didn't go to that ceremony. But you know what he says? But if you don't have a clean conscience, if you can't do it in faith, then don't eat it. You really know better if you eat it, and you really know better if you don't eat it. But that's the kind of thing that they end up fighting about. In fact, we're going to get to a passage that deals with just that later on in Corinthians. He also wrote to the Romans who had the same struggle. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So in other words, in areas where uh, gray areas where you can do this or you can do this, it really doesn't matter. He says, quit judging. That's not your servant. He's God's servant. Let God take care of it. A few verses later, in verses 10 through 12 of Romans 14, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so in some of these areas, we got no business judging one another. What I've found is that sometimes exactly the things that we shouldn't be judging one another in is the areas that we do. Some of the biggest contentions that I've seen within church had to do with what kind of music they played in a worship service or what was the dress code for the church. We got really no business picking people apart over those kinds of things. But yet, at the same time, there are things where we are called to judge and hold one another accountable to, and those are the things that we really don't like to deal with, but you still have to. But you see, the Apostle Paul, he does not rush to judgment. and In fact, he tells him, do not rush to judgment. In fact, he says some of these things, they don't even need to be judged until God gets here. When Christ comes back, he'll judge those things. And he's really the only one that can see them. In fact, I love the way that he says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. 
He's saying, look, your, your opinion of me, I don't, I don't care about whether you think I should do this or that on these, some of these areas. But then he says, or even any human court. I'm okay if I'm going against the courts on some of these things that God has told me to do. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Very important. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not judging myself in some of these things. He says, I'm not aware of any outstanding sin that I have before God or any way that I'm doing things wrong. He says, it doesn't mean that I'm not doing something wrong. Just because I'm not aware that I'm doing something wrong doesn't mean that I'm not. I was thinking about this a little bit this last week. It was some of the social and moral issues in our society. Because people say, well, I don't feel any guilt. You know, because guilt, there's really a couple different categories for guilt. There's an objective category for guilt. There are some things that if you do them, they're wrong. You are guilty. doesn't matter what you feel. You just are guilty. You did wrong. But then there's a subjective guilt. And that is the one that we often think of that is the uh, um, emotion of guilt. That is the one that we feel. I feel guilty. You know what? You can actually, you can feel guilty and not be guilty. And you can be guilty and not feel guilty. I have talked with people before that say, I feel so bad about, and it was something outside of their control. I'm saying, look, you don't really have any legitimate guilt in that. You didn't do that. You don't want that. It's, I can't see any place where you have any guilt, but they still felt guilty. Their emotions were misleading them. But you know what? At the same, at the same time, people are guilty, but their conscience has been seared enough to where they don't feel the guilt of that anymore. And so they feel like, hey, I'm fine. You're not fine. You are guilty before God. And again, that's going to get dealt with a little bit next week. But, but he says, look, the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm not even going to judge myself in some of these things because the fact of the matter is, in, in a lot of these things, I don't know my own heart. You know, he says, I, I can look at myself and I don't see anything wrong. Doesn't mean there isn't something wrong, but I, I don't know what it is right now. Christ is going to have to point that out to me. In fact, oh, how does he describe it? In verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, that's the time for the judgment, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation before God. You see, the right time to judge is when on those things is when Christ comes back. Why? Because He's the one that knows. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, I don't see anything in my heart. I think I'm doing things in the right way. And I think I'm doing things in the right motive. But he said, you know what? I don't know. Maybe my heart, maybe some of the things the Apostle Paul did, maybe he did some of those with the motive of lifting himself up without even realizing it. Maybe he didn't. We're not the best authority on our own heart. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You know, I've found, I've found that within, within myself, I can do 
some of the best of actions and sometimes they're accompanied with a very self-centered motive. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done something that was super nice for somebody else? Only to notice that within yourself you were liking the notice that the people noticed that you were doing it. That we were. It's what the Pharisees in Jesus' day did. They stood on street corners, and made big, long-winded prayers, so that would people would notice. They they made a parade out of giving to the poor, so that people would notice. They. I don't know about you, but I know all too often, and not that it, not that it takes that often to be all too often, but but I see too much of that in me from time to time can do the best of things with the worst of motives at times. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I'm looking at myself. I'm trying to do things in the right motive, the right action, everything. But I can't really judge my own heart effectively. Christ can, and He's coming, and He's going to have to do that. Until then, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm keeping a clear conscience. I'm trying to make sure the right motives, right action. But you know what? He's going to have to sift through that. Well, and that's why he gives them this this advice. He tells them this. He says, in their evaluation, he says, do not go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond Scripture. Don't, Don't go beyond the Word of God. And that's helpful. In this evaluation, in having the proper evaluation or the proper judgment, he says, judge according to the Word of God. You know, and that's, again, that's what we're getting into next week. He's going to tell them and say, look, this... What this person is doing does not line up with the clear teaching of the Word of God. So you have to judge that. You have to hold that accountable, that person accountable. But these things are not. So we need to let those go to God. He says, just go by Scripture. Don't go beyond what is written. You know, there are so many times in dealing with interpersonal struggles that often what people find themselves doing is judging the motive of the other person. And the fact of the matter is, is you cannot know their motive. You are not inside of them. Even they can't know their motive completely and perfectly. And they are inside of them. And so your ability to know their motive or their heart, you just do not have it. So we need to not go there. We need to leave that judgment to Christ. How do we do that? Very simple. The Apostle Paul says, don't go beyond what's written. Keep our judgments within the confines of the Word of God. Outside of that, and the gray areas that are designed within, within that, out, then let God judge those things. But God has called us to judge the things that are within them. And we'll get to those things next week. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And because it's breathed out by God, it's profitable. And what is it profitable for? For teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. So God has given us what is written. He's given us the truth that's within His Word. And we need to hold each other accountable to that. The other things we need to let go of. Because those are likely stemming from our own struggles with our own arrogance. So in dealing with these things and dealing with the arrogance that is within us, 
The Word of God gives us an antidote for that. And what does that involve? Well, it involves having the proper identity, seeing yourself in the right way, recognizing that we're servants, not kings. In fact, next week he's going to focus on their desire to be kings. We're servants, not kings. Focus on our proper responsibility. Our proper responsibility is not to keep the eternal scales balanced. It's to do our part. It's to be faithful. And not only to have the proper responsibility, but the proper evaluation. And that is in some of those things, just leave them to Christ. Don't rush to judgment. You know, rushing to judgment, whether it lifts Paul up on a pedestal or brings him down compared to Apollos, they're both wrong. Rushing to judgment, whether it lifts us up or brings us down, both wrong. We need to wait for Christ, who is the judge in those things.